Welcome to Bleacher Blum, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now, the current master of banter for the Houston Astros television broadcast team, Blummer. All right, bleachers are open and it is good. The sun is shining bright. It's maybe, it's, we have a cold front here in Houston. I think it's about 89 degrees outside. So that's always good. I love how we give weather updates and man, I always have this intention, and I always tell Tuttle before we open some of these shows that we're, what we're going to do. We have a little bit of a game plan. It may be on a sketch pad, and maybe be, maybe be, uh, maybe a couple of notes. But I try and, and you know let Tuttle know it's coming. And then all of a sudden, I look out the window before I do the podcast, and it's eighty nine, and it sparks a little bit of a. And, and you'll, hopefully, you'll back me up on this, but it sparks a little bit of something that I remember when I was in the minor leagues. Is that along with learning the craft of playing baseball and how to adapt to playing every day and trying to work your way to the major leagues? What what fans need to understand is that baseball players are p- maybe part time or full time meteorologists. And we love the weather because you want to know if you're playing that day. You want to know what conditions you're going to be playing in. How is that going to affect my game? It almost is a mood, a mood enhancer or debilitator. Because if it's raining outside, you're like, oh, man, how long is this rain delay going to be? If we get rained out, are we going to have to play a doubleheader tomorrow? Is it windy? If the, Is the wind blowing? Damn it, the wind is blowing in. I've got no chance against Tuttle today. He could throw fastballs right down the middle. I could swing as hard as I want, and the wind's going to knock it down. Um, is it is it cold? Every time Tuttle throws that turbo sinker, I'm going to get jammed. My hands are going to freaking kill me. Uh, Tuttle, back me up on this. Are baseball players actually meteorologists in training? Absolutely. I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. I love it. <laughs> and when that wind's blowing in, you're right. And right down the middle, here it comes. But, uh, you know, that is so funny because since I've gotten out of baseball and living in Southern California, as you know, where we met, Southern California, like, I give my wife and my son a hard time because every day they wake up, they're like, oh, yeah, it's going to be a little chilly today. You're like, we live in Southern California. I mean, it's it's between 50 and 85 every day. Like, so I've kind of gotten off the meteorologist thing, but I'll tell you a funny story. We were playing in a ball my first year, like 91, 92 in Macon and Savannah, beautiful Georgia. So the USA today, which is funny now that newspapers have become obsolete, but the USA today was a staple in the minor leagues. Like how quick could you get down to the front desk in the morning? There is no truer statement in all the planet because when Tuttle and I are playing in the minor leagues, we didn't have the weather app. We didn't have smartphones. It took a half an hour to download one the AOL page on the internet through through the you know the dial up service. So you're right. Every day you're like, who got the USA Today? Yeah. So we would grab the USA Today, and we were in Macon and Savannah late July. So anybody that listens to this podcast, I mean, Houstonians probably can relate. But the heat index was like 107 with like 98% humidity. But I had to learn, right? I'm 21 years old in, in uh, low A ball there in Macon, Georgia, July 27th, 28th, 29th. It was smoking hot. And about four in the afternoon, the black clouds would just come over like, and you're trying to be a weatherman, as you, as you pointed out, a meteorologist. And it would start pouring. And I was in there like giddy, like, oh, yeah, we're going to get rained out tonight. We haven't had an off day in 22 days. We're going to get rained out. All that did at 4 o'clock was bang BP. No batting practice today. 6.30, they take the tarp off the field. And the heat, that little heat is rising off the like dugouts, the steam. And you're like, oh, my God. So you you first pitch at seven o'clock and it's like <laughs> ninety-five degrees with ninety-nine percent humidity, like your uniform sticking to you. We had those thick uniforms too. This wasn't like oh, you yeah. know, Under Armour wasn't invented in nineteen ninety one that I recall. Anyway, I could go on about that, but we were definitely meteorologists and you learn actually not to get excited or disappointed by rain at four in the afternoon, because all that did was yes, no BP today, an extra peanut butter jelly sandwich and <laughs> Hang with them. Get out there. <laughs> isn't, isn't it funny how we remember, you know, the PB and J's or that bowl of soup that you would get before the game in the middle of like July and August, like you're talking about? You're like, oh man, dude, I can't wait for that chicken noodle, Campbell's chicken noodle soup that's been in the vat for the last week and a half that they just keep pouring on top of. But, you know, it's funny when you talked about, you know, after it rains in some of those southern states, 
that heat, you know, that, that layer of heat that starts to rise. And it reminds me of that progressive commercial where that guy goes, man, it's like a sauna in here. Oh, that's it's all a it sauna. <laughs> so that's what it feels like. It does turn into a sauna. And Tuttle's not lying, man. We played in those full-on, I mean, granted, it wasn't the 1920s when we were playing in wool uniforms in the middle of, you know, the Midwest. But still, to put it in context, in our times, back in the olden days for Tuttle and I, we played in full-blown, like, inch-thick polyester wetsuits, it felt like. And those things just absorbed everything you you perspired. And to, you know, really reinforce the point is when we, our undershirts, or basically the shirt I'm wearing right now, just a cotton t-shirt. And you know how well those things wick water. Those things were like sponges, man. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, it's a funny way to start the podcast about being a meteorologist because I've gotten off the meteorologist train since I uh, quit playing baseball. But man, you learned a lot of different things. And traveling all around the country, you got to see tons of different weather, weather patterns. But yeah, I would get excited. I'm like, hey, rain out tonight. We haven't had a rain out in 22 days. And then all of a sudden, like, nope, no rain out. Here we go. But yeah, it's like a vapor. That's what it is. It's a vapor that just comes yeah. off the field. And, uh, you know, it's 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 a certain, it's a skill to uh, learn, you know, when you're going to have a doubleheader, when to get up, when to get down. And we you just brought up another, it should be a Tales from the Bench topic, but the uh, clubhouse meals and what you looked forward to and the clubhouse oh. dues and the minor leagues, you know, with like hot soup, boy. More clubbies got so crushed that, you know, it's 95 degrees out and you come in and you got chicken soup on the burner. <laughs> People are like, that's what you're serving us today. Okay. But, uh, and and you you're know. like, how many saltines can I put in this thing to actually have it fill me up? <laughs> there weren't any saltines or peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in minor league clubhouses. Ooh. Oh, <laughs> and they used to set up the table in the shower. You know, there's like a row of four showers. So like, there's no room in the clubhouse because all the guys are in there. So we'll just put the, the table in the shower. You know, gosh, yeah. there's so many memories. We got to do tales from the bench. I'm with you. Yeah, we could just have a minor league uh, podcast one day on Bleacher Blums and tell everybody about our experiences in the minor leagues because it is it has transformed so much. I don't know how much Tuttle has paid attention to the minor league situation, but there's new ballparks going up everywhere. They have their own clubhouses. They actually have showers. You know, I remember, man, we're going to spiral out of control. I don't know if I should do this. But the one thing that was kind of funny to me, and I've, I've actually talked to guys in the clubhouse about this. I'm like, dude, my first year in pro ball, I went from, you know, UC Berkeley where everything was tiled and plush and, you know, real plumbing, actual hot water when you wanted it, to Auburn, New York, playing against the Astros A-ball affiliation. And we showered on pallets. Pallets were on top of the dirt. And that's what separated us and our showers from earth were wood pallets. So that just gives you an idea. I'll, I'll keep it short. Uh, the Reds did not spend a whole lot of money on their minor leaguers. They spent a lot, maybe a lot of money on the big leaguers because they had to with the uh, collective bargaining come agreement. On, Marge. Yeah, come on, Marge shot. Uh, but Charleston Wheelers, I think the uniforms were stitched in the 1950s, partly wool. But the, we talk about old school, new school. <laughs> I'll keep it short old school, new school all the time is that all the teams in the uh, South Atlantic League were kind of older school teams. And then in 91 or 92, the Hickory Crawdads joined our league and they had a new stadium in Hickory. It was like brand new. And a buddy of mine actually from uh, high school got drafted by the White Sox and played there for the Hickory Crawdads. And we were like, oh my gosh. I mean, we thought they were the big leagues. It was low A ball too. But that's when that transition started. You just talked about now the minor leagues. I mean, they built a brand new stadium in Hickory. They got brand new uniforms. They had like sleeveless pinstripe uniforms. They had black jerseys with white hats for Sunday games. I was like, oh, man, it was almost like I just want to be traded to another A-ball team. I didn't care about making the big leagues. But, you know, we, our, we were showering on pallets, like you said. And, the you know, the clubby would put the table in the shower. And that's where your spread was after the game. And then you would have to move it out. And then, I mean all kinds of stories that we could tell, but that's when it started like 92, 93, they started naming, you know, they had these creative names and naming rights and some of the stadiums had names and they were building new stadiums and all these small towns. And, uh, you know, the transition happened, it started then. And I, I I'm sure it's continued on now. 
this actually allows me to transfer into a different topic and try and get this podcast going because I think all of a sudden Tuttle and I took that, uh, you know, we took the DeLorean out to 88, you know, miles an hour and launched back a couple days. But uh, it's always good to reminisce on that because you got to remember where you came from to get where you're at. And a lot of it wasn't pretty. There's a lot of failure involved. There's a lot of struggle involved, but uh, it was all worth it. And it makes for great stories. And that's what, for me, that's what mostly baseball is about. Because when you do get together with guys like Tuttle or, uh, you know, some guys that you played with, you do reminisce a little bit and compare notes as to how your trek was through the minor leagues or through some of those. And it makes for a lot of fun banter. And the reason it's transitioning for us now is because we're coming up on Players Weekend in Major League Baseball. And Major League Baseball has actually done a really good job of promoting, you know, Father's Day, Mother's Day, Fourth of July, Memorial Day. So they have all these different caps and uniforms that the guys go out there for. Obviously, it's good for merchandising and a being able to buy some more merch for Major League Baseball. And this weekend is Players Weekend. They're just going with a monochromatic look. And what's interesting is normally during all of these events that they have Mother's Day, Father's Day, as broadcasters, we don't get to be involved all that much. And this weekend, believe it or not, Major League Baseball has given us uniforms. So when you watch the broadcast this weekend, namely Friday and Saturday, Todd Callis, Julia Morales, and Jeff Blum, well, we will have our own players weekend jerseys. So I'm kind of fired up about that. And we'll actually have Jeff Bagwell in the booth on Saturday night. And, it, it, you know, so we get to have a little bit of fun with it. But I've never even thought about, like, what my nickname would be. So I went pretty boring on this, and I'm not sure if you have a nickname, Tuttle, that we don't know about or you'd be willing to divulge on our podcast right now. But uh, it's kind of funny because they sprung this on us, and they asked, well, you know, what do you want on the back of your jersey? What number? What uh, what nickname do you want out there? And I think TK is just TK. Julia, she got really crazy with it. She's Julia. I don't know what number they have on. And of course, mine is basically my Twitter handle. It's going to say Blummer27. That's what I was thinking, actually. I'm like, Blummer, where could you go with this? I got I got you nailed. I want to do the soothsayer, the fortune teller. I guarantee you went with Blummer27. There you go. There's a, you know, I, I, this is a little transition, but my daughter, same thing. So my daughter is uh, Jenna. Her middle name is Emery and last name's Tuttle. So Jenna Emery Tuttle. Her initials are J-E-T. So... You know, somebody called her Jet one time, and they thought that was cool. But I think we talk about being humble, and this is the old school, new, new school thing, too. It's like, what are you going to put on there? Like, you know, home run crusher, and then walk around with a jersey that says, like, you're in the big leagues. Like, everybody knows that you're a good baseball player. I just think some of the nicknames get carried away. I think mine is obvious. A lot of people called me King Tut. But I even told my daughter, she's not that fast. Um, you know, you don't need to be called Jet. <laughs> Just just put Jenna on the back or, you know, put Tuttle. Your last name is standard. We've gotten a little crazy. I'm, you know, I'm going to keep going off on tangents. What the heck? We were in Trader Joe's one day. My daughter's wearing her soccer uniform. And the, the, the checker goes, hey, what position are you playing soccer? And she told him. He goes, do you have a nickname? She goes, no, just I just go by Jenna. And he's like, all right. So we bagged all the groceries and we're leaving and we're pushing the cart out the door. And this guy, he's, you know, like 60 years old. He goes, see you later, Rocket. And then he just basically, so he made her a nickname. And so every once in a while, I'll call her Rocket. And we joke about that. So you can also get a nickname that's kind of unrelated. Um, like I said, just going off on tangents here. But, uh, but don't you think it's a little, I don't know, if you put like first round pick on your jersey or like, you know, home run crusher, like I think. It, it gets a little carried away, right? I thought for sure you'd go with he hate me. Oh, yeah, that was that was a good one. What was that, the uh, <laughs> XFL or something? Yeah, which is coming back, by the way. I'm not sure if you've been reading about that, but Houston's picked up an XFL team, which will be kind of interesting and maybe future podcasts about that. But Players Weekend is coming up. I just wanted to give everybody a heads up on that. Baggy's going to be in the booth Saturday. Uh, we had an interesting moment in the booth Man, what was it? Two days ago, I believe. I believe it was the second game against the Detroit Tigers. And we called it Analyst Night. Basically, Todd Callis, you know, I felt bad for Todd because he had three other, you know, blowhards in the in the booth or around the field with him that were all mic'd up. So not only does he have to deal with me on a daily basis, but today was special because he had to deal with me, Mike Stanton, who pitched in the big leagues for quite a while. 
And then ex-Astro, Brian Bogusevic, who played uh, the outfield, hit for power. I think he also tried to make a little bit of a comeback as a pitcher because he pitched in college. But we had analyst night, and I know if you've been listening to this podcast for quite a while, you know that David Tuttle had talked about during the NBA season where the NBA made an attempt at this and didn't go well according to David Tuttle. So in doing this podcast, or doing the analyst night, there was a little bit in the back of my mind wondering if Tuttle was going to watch, and it turns out he actually was watching the game, which was awesome. So Tuttle, breakdown analyst night that we had on the other night. I don't know if I'm going to do a good job of breaking it down. <clears throat> I'll tell you the big, the biggest difference with the NBA is that you know they had Isaiah Thomas and Grant Hill kind of leading the broadcast. The advantage you guys had is you kept TK in place, which was awesome. And I know there were a couple times where you you know you apologized or you asked a question that you thought TK might, uh, but that's you know that's par for the course when you get five people all mic'd up and. Uh, kind of on the same broadcast. I thought it, I thought it went really well, and I thought, as usual, you always say I carry the podcast. But all you had to do, if you had any sort of question or anything, is you didn't even have to talk. You say, hey, hey, Bogus it would tell me uh, about what your approach would be in this situation. So uh, I actually liked it. I'm not just saying this. I mean, I liked it so much better than the NBA podcast. I don't think they're comparable. It, it gets a little maybe detailed for the for the regular fan but i think the people that really enjoy baseball and maybe ex players and people that are into the intricacies i thought it was i think at the beginning of the game mike stanton talked about if he were uh, verlander how he'd approach these young hitters because there's because there's not a lot of scouting report on, reports on them and one of the things that we always knew that as an experienced pitcher is that you know, you really couldn't, I think he, he mentioned that Wade Miley struggled with this the night before, is you can't really set guys up. If they don't know what they're doing and they're aggressive and they're going after the first pitch fastball, you just want to do a little better job of, you know, locating your first pitch fastball. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to groove it. So if these guys are middle in hitters, make sure you get that fastball low and away. And, and Stanton touched on that. And of course, watching Verlander go after these guys, it was like, Early in the count, they were swinging. He was ahead, 0-1, 1-2. You know, obviously that was a that was a tough loss, giving up two hits the way he did. And uh, but but he went after the guys just the way Stanton said he would. And then they asked Bogusevic to say, "All right, well, how would you approach Verlander? You know, the guy throws 95. He's one of the preeminent pitchers in the league, and he's awesome. How would you approach getting after Verlander?" And they're like, "Hey, I'd swing early. Like, you know, you know, you're going to get a fastball." And anyway, I so. So for me as an ex-player, and I hope for the fans as well, the insight was not only valid, but it, it came to fruition. And I, hopefully it gave the fans some insight into, you know, there is a little skill involved in playing this game and, a, and definitely a mental side, but that you can really, if you pay attention and watch what's going on, and then obviously listen to these guys that have some expertise, you can get a lot more out of the game. And I, I do not get that from those NBA podcasts. Those guys are just kind of grooving it. And the game has changed so much. Like it used to be a center low post game and now it's an outside game. I feel like those guys are just shooting the breeze. You guys were uh, comfortable with each other, but trying to provide some insight. And so I think that's a, that's a huge difference. And I, I actually enjoyed it. You're the best, Tuttle. I appreciate the heck out of you. But I also appreciate the fact that you are being honest and you were paying attention enough to to understand that. And I was actually trying and I enjoy doing those shows every once in a while, you know, even with Bagwell in the booth. Um, Lance Berkman will sit in for me every once in a while. It's good to have a little bit of diversity and a, a different opinion. And to your point about asking Bogusevic different uh, different questions or asking Mike Stanton different questions, for me, it was more of, I get my opportunity 150 times a year. So why not give these guys an opportunity? Because fans have, if you've been watching enough Astros baseball, you have a pretty good idea of how I feel about situations. I may surprise you every once in a while, but I'm around the game a little bit more often. I, I have a little more consistent viewpoint because of the opportunity. And I really wanted to get their voices out there. Bogusevic is a guy who's trying to break into the business, so to speak, doing some pre and post. And he's enjoying it. I talked to him before the game. He's absolutely enjoying it. So I wanted to get him a little more involved. But it's also an opportunity for people to hear a different viewpoint or hear it said differently because the view may be the same, but the way it's explained and the way it's it's told can be a little bit different. I think that's where the value in having a you know a couple of different guys every once in a while in that booth kind of helps out a little bit. I don't want to give up my job. I love my job, 
and I expect to be there for a while, but I do encourage having other voices in there like that, even though it, you know, some people, it's funny how you get a mixed review sometimes, because it's sometimes you're like, okay, enough of those guys get back to the regularity. And then other times it's like, man, I love having a different voice in there. So you're not going to please everybody all the time, but it's nice to mix it up, especially in a 162 game season to throw a couple of different voices out there and maybe hear that different opinion or that different, just looking at it from a different angle. You know, I relate a lot of things to CrossFit now instead of baseball, but I can go back to, I'll tie it to baseball, but CrossFit, as you know, kind of a cult following, but a lot of kind of Olympic type lifting and different technical movements. And some of the stuff is gymnastics and some of it's weightlifting. But, you know, if there's a difficult movement, you might have somebody say to you, all right, this is how you do the movement and you still struggle with it. And then somebody else says, oh, no, you got to add this piece to it. And so think about all the hitting coaches you had throughout the, you know, throughout your career. They can say the same thing in a different way. And, 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 and to add another layer, I was listening to Jim Gaffigan on Joe Rogan's podcast. And Jim Gaffigan was saying, you know, he's a friend, he's friends, and I'm not going to make this political, but you get the point. He's friends with a guy who has a show on Fox News. And Jim Gaffigan's like, I'm a pretty socially liberal guy. And what he gets on Twitter is people going, how could he be friends with that guy? Like, da, 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 da. And Jim Gavin is like, he's a nice guy. Like, just because you have a different opinion doesn't make it the wrong opinion. It certainly doesn't mean that, I mean, we need to, as a society in general, let's hang out with people that have different opinions or different ways of looking at things, because it's only going to make us a little smarter or a little more enlightened. And I think to bring it back to your point, that's, that's what that does. You, you know, Bogusevic can hit. You could hit. You both played in the big leagues. Oh, that's funny. He played the outfield. You played the infield. Great. So you guys are not the same person. So to look at the same situation in a different manner might relate to uh, other fans in a different way. You know, as great as you are, Blummer, there may be a few people out there that are sick and tired of hearing your voice. I don't know. It could be, but hopefully they're tuning into the podcast too to get a little bit more. They'll just pile on that whole thing. But that that's an excellent point. And you're right about the hitting coach, pitching coach, you know, and we saw it uh, this past week on that road trip with Brent Strom on the shelf with his, uh, you know, his surgery that he had to have. He wasn't able to travel. So the bullpen coach, Josh Miller, gets in there. And I don't know if it's a different, you know, if he was saying the wrong things or just saying them differently, but there is a certain comfort with guys that you go to. So if I was struggling, I know which coach I would go to and be like, hey, man, what are you saying? Give it to me straight. Because maybe sometimes you don't get that right answer that you want. So you've got to move on a little bit. But I agree in the sense that you do have to hear every single angle. To It's all about information. The more information we get, the better we're, opinion we're going to be able to make. And who knows? Maybe that guy who hates you says something that triggers you to be like, okay, I got to work a little bit harder, or maybe I should have tried that. So you can get advice from all sides and everywhere that you're working with stuff like that. But I, I strongly encourage the conversation. That's a lot of the basis of the podcast for Tuttle and I is to be able to, to have different viewpoints or maybe spark a conversation if you're listening in your car with your family, if you're at, at the office listening to it on the way in and you want to have that water cooler talk with your buddies. So make sure you tune in to uh, Bleacher Blums. We're having a blast doing this. Things have been going very well. A lot of subscribers, a lot of people downloading and, and listening. So we appreciate that. But we always want to encourage you to pass this podcast on and encourage the spread of the word of Dave Tuttle and myself, Jeff Blum. You can reach out to Dave Tuttle on Twitter at real David Tuttle, and you can reach me on Twitter at what am I again? Good grief! At Blummer twenty seven. I should know that because now just look at your jersey this weekend. You'll be able to figure it out. Yeah. Like, let's look at the back of his jersey. Blummer twenty seven. Yep, that's my Twitter handle. That's my Instagram. I'm good to go. That's literally what I just thought of. I'm like, oh man, if I have any troubles remembering <laughs> that, I just got to look in the mirror and <laughs> check out the back of my jersey. But at uh am i number 72 i can't oh no that's 27 okay yeah blummer 27 yeah that that won't play into any athlete stereotypes at all but uh you can get me at blummer 27 on twitter and on instagram i've tried to do a pretty good job on there getting stuff out there I actually just posted a picture of my old college coach uh and you know he's the one that taught me how to switch hit and you can actually pick that up if you go to Blum and Blum, or if you go to uh, Bleacher Blums and look up the podcast. It's called The Switch, and it kind of explains that story of how I learned how to switch hit from Bob Milano. So I'm also the same handle on Instagram. I know that's a lot of information, and I know that's a lot of talk, but we want to know a little bit more about Tuttle. We talked about my girls getting back in school. Are you back in school yet in California? 
finally back in school and uh this is the first week so it's still hectic my son started high school for the first time and that uh that's a that's a whole new deal uh he has zero period so we don't have to deal with the traffic in the morning and we're up anyway but uh it's actually great our kids enjoy school uh they enjoy getting back with their friends and uh, obviously as we talked about the cruise director is on uh on hold till next late may early june and uh my cruise cruise director duties are are on the back back burner and i'm happy about that so yeah all all good here and uh got some time to myself finally that is outstanding news so that means with getting tuttle and i out of the way with some pretty good banter we know how to crush some time we've gotten pretty good at uh at stretching these things out i hope you're enjoying at home we appreciate having you guys on this podcast and we got to give you some astros updates because it has been it's been an interesting week. It's been an interesting road trip, but still nothing really shaking out as far as the American League West. And I think that, you know, Astro fans have really turned their focus more to the 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 whole picture, the playoff picture, because I believe that West is is it's not well in hand. I mean, it's a seven seven game lead for them, but you want it to be a little bit more. But I think at the at the same time, you understand how good these guys are and how how when they are firing on all cylinders, they can mow through a division and they've done a very good job within the division of the American league West. So with that anticipation and with that expectation of getting to the playoffs, let's talk a little bit about injuries because those things have been popping up a little bit here recently. Uh, most recently we saw Diaz go or Ledmus Diaz out in Oakland, go on the injured list, got a little bit dizzy, uh, wasn't feeling right, and they hospitalized him overnight in Oakland. And more of a precautionary move, they said, we're going to put him on the injured list, let him get straight so that we can get him back and make sure that everything's all right instead of forcing him into a high-pressure situation that may com- you know, may complicate the uh, health issue. But it seems like he's on the mend and coming back. It just kind of sucks in the sense that your backup shortstop goes on the IL as your shortstop goes on the IL. That's not exactly how it's supposed to work. It's supposed to work with the shortstop going on the IL and having the backup guy out there to back him up. That's a true statement. I mean, but if but if we knew what was going to happen, then obviously they would have made some different moves. I, I guess I saw Mayfield got back in there, and then you guys called up a, a guy who's raking, I guess, in the minor leagues. A guy, did he get traded over? No, he, no, I think he's an organizational guy. But he, he, to your point, yeah. there's there's enough depth out there and the ability for some of these guys to move around so you can move an Alex Bregman to shortstop and a Abraham Toro to, to third base. So there's depth there. But Carlos Correa going on the IL is a concerning one just in the sense, and this is where I'm going to try and get it at David Tuttle because, you know, being on the outside looking in and trying to play the play the opposing GMs around the league or even being an Astro GM and looking at Carlos Correa, number one, phenomenal freak talent, the generational type talent when he goes out there. This is now the second or third time we've seen him go on the injured list with this back injury. He is a taller shortstop, plays a highly physical position, swings hard, has a lot of power. And is there concern in your mind? And take, you know, take Carlos Correa out of the situation as far as what he's thinking personally or how it's affecting him as a, as a player who's trying to make a lot of money, he's going to get paid eventually. It's just a matter of, can he be healthy? But if you're an opposing GM and you're looking at this or you hear his name come up in a trade, are you concerned at all with him being young and injured? Not a lot, but a little more frequently than you'd like to see. Absolutely. Let me just uh, apologize again to Abraham Toro. That guy was hitting 435 in AAA or something. Uh, TK said yesterday what he was like 28 for 65 or some. I mean, yeah, some crazy. What? I mean, that guy's. I mean, wouldn't it be nice? But like, yeah, we had two guys go on the DL, so we're gonna call up a guy who's hitting 440. You know, I mean, that's like Jordan. Let's go down <laughs> and get Jordan, and let's get this Toro guy who's hitting 440. So, you know, I mean, the rich get richer. So let's not let's not feel too bad for the Astros. Um, your question about Correa is super interesting because I'm a human being and we, we continue to talk and I know we're going to talk a little bit about football in the preseason, but we, we touched on this in spring training, uh, about spring training early on in our podcast days in that spring training is really for the few guys that need to make the team. You know, they'll say, oh yeah, we've got 22 of our 25 guys slated. We need a long guy out of the bullpen. We need a backup, you know, infielder and a backup outfielder, and those guys got to bust their butt, and those guys end up going on all the road trips in spring training, no golf for them. They play every day, three or four at-bats, and 
guess what? Those guys aren't getting hurt in spring training because they can taste it. They can taste it. And I think that you talked about not having days off. And I know when I was in the minor leagues, all I want to do is get to the big leagues. So when I got promoted, I did my best to make all-star teams get promoted. And we got promoted. The pressure was on even more. I mean, like self, you know, self-inflicted pressure, but you just had to be healthy and you had to get out there. And I've always talked about the dichotomy between, you know, pitchers, especially because that's my, <clears throat> that's my area. How many guys you see throwing 98 that have no clue where it's going? Their mechanics are all over the place. And, you know, they're kind of trying to figure that out. And how many guys you see that are, um, you know, throwing 85 to 88 that have a great changeup, a good cutter, good sinker, and they work the ball in and out. And those guys are stuck in double A, triple A because the velocity's not there. So you got the guy throwing 98 and the guy throwing 88, and neither of them can make the big leagues because one guy can't throw strikes and the other guy just doesn't quite have the stuff yet or he hasn't figured out how to you know locate it and get these guys out the guys that make the big leagues and stay in the big leagues are the guys that throw 98 like verlander and then can spot it and they figure out oh i got on this guy i gotta cut this ball and this guy i'm gonna throw my curveball more often those are the guys that make it so to your point about correa correa is that guy he's transcendent he has an idea how to hit he's kind of uh, wise beyond his years right it was a 23 now 24 like he he's got uber confidence. He's got power. He can you know fire the ball from shortstop. So he's the guy. You know, let's go back to the pitcher. He's the guy like Verlander. He's got it figured out. But what you saw with even Verlander is that he had a couple years where oh he had to adjust his pitching style and stay healthy. So the long answer is I would be concerned about Cray because he has all the tools there. And and the comp for me is like Tulowitzki. Tulowitzki, after three or four years, was regarded as the best guy on the planet, and he got the big deal. And now, you know, his ankle and then his toe and then something else. And, you know, I, I don't know if you want to call it uh, injury prone or, you know, maybe they're just breaking down because they've been playing so long. It's not a contact sport, but as you knew, you know, with your obliques and, you know, I mean, it's golfers have back issues. I mean, taking that many swings over the course of years, I mean, things break down. So I, I would be a little bit concerned. I'm not concerned about giving him a long-term contract or saying that, but he's a, he's a, I don't know if he's a once in a generation, but he's certainly in a top 10 or top 20 kind of generational type skill player. But uh, I would be concerned about his injuries. If they're, if they're, if they're going to continue and if they're nagging and they're serious, then, you know, it's going to shorten his career and certainly change the dynamic of the team. No, completely, and that's what it's about right now is getting him on the field because when he is healthy and he is on, on this ball club, he plays a phenomenal defense. You know that all the pitchers love having him behind him, behind them, but also in that lineup too, he creates so much more depth, and he's such he's just another incredible threat. And obviously, if we go back a couple of years to 2017, what a true asset he was, both defensively and offensively. Uh, another injured list guy that popped up was Ryan Presley, the setup guy for Roberto Osuna. Uh, about a month ago, last time we were in Anaheim, he actually got hit by a ground ball in his knee. I wish I could remember. I think it was his left knee, his landing knee. And it kind of blew up on him a little bit. They didn't pitch him for about five days. He eventually went on the injured list trying to get that thing right. But I think there's more going on inside there now. And they're going to have that surgery on that right knee. And rumor has it he's going to be out five to six weeks or four to six weeks with that injury. So what is crazy about that, if you stretch it out over six weeks, he is going to be back maybe the last week of September going into the playoffs. Uh, they have guys that are suitable to back him up. We saw a guy yesterday, Joe Smith. Veteran guy, sinker baller, doesn't throw as hard, brings a little bit different arm angle to guys, but still able to go out there and compete. He's pitched a lot in the back end of bullpens, being that setup guy or that high leverage guy or however you want to call it. But it's also going to thrust a guy like Will Harris into a situation where instead of being that sixth or seventh inning guy, it might be a mix between Joe Smith and Will Harris to see who can cover those innings or what AJ wants to do as far as matchups. So you do have a little bit of depth there. My only concern with Ryan Presley is, is he going to be able to get back in time to pitch competitively to be prepared to pitch in the playoffs? Because it's one thing to just all of a sudden be thrust into a regular season game. It's another thing to be thrust into a shortened five-game season where it's a must-win every night you go out there. So a little bit more as far as stress is concerned, 
And on the other side, maybe some positivity. I think Josh James is, is about to start his rehab assignment. And if he gets back into the big leagues, that would just be another weapon to try and cover not having a guy like Ryan Presley out there. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about as far as the Astros are concerned, Total? Because that's pretty much all I've got as far as the Astros. No, it's plenty of Astros talk as usual. No, uh, you know, I was going to say, I, I actually, as a fan, because not knowing any of the insight, thought something was wrong with Presley, right? Didn't he have like a record of consecutive scoreless appearances and then got a little tweak of some sort, went on the IL, came back, and then, you know, I mean, you got to get that stuff right. And we talked about this, you know, the ebbs and flows of a season, the highs and lows. Presley's been dominant. And just a little chink in the armor um, is not what you need heading into the playoffs. So he's got to get that knee right. I guess they said four to six weeks. Hopefully he can get back. You mentioned Josh James. But they need the back end of the bullpen to be ready to go for uh, for making that World Series run. So, you know, good luck to him and get healthy fast. All right. It is that time of the podcast we all enjoy so much. So without further ado, it is time for What'll Tuttle Say? All right, Blummer. Thanks, bud. Hey, uh, so same. We'll stick with two topics today. Uh, the first topic is grabbed right off of Twitter, our favorite social media medium. <laughs> How about that? Social media medium, social media platform. One of those. I can say that fast three times. So uh, I got a tweet this week after we talked about the uh, the spread and a little bit of gambling information on the Baltimore Orioles game. And then, of course, this week, the Astros <laughs> did it again. They, uh, they had the, the highest odds in their favor. And I guess in Vegas, that just means that they're thrown into all kinds of parlays and group bets because people just take them on the money line because they're supposed to win. And I will say Verlander did everything in his power to make the Astros win that game. It just didn't happen. So I guess that's the old uh, special teams, offense, defense, and special teams. You, you, that's one you just chalk up to the hitters. They can go in and apologize or whatever, but some nights they just don't have it. And uh, I have a question for you, just because it, I'm rambling on. Is that was that the night they went? They started with a start. They did two lefties, like three innings with a lefty, three and yeah. So that's always you get Brantley out of the lineup. You know, no Reddick in the lineup. You kind of throw everybody for a loop, and they're changing the pitchers pretty regularly. Uh, I'm sure the Astros would disagree and say we got to light those guys up, but uh, you know, anyway, didn't work out in their favor. Um, so this tweet was just trying to, uh, since I got into explaining how the odds work, right? Uh, minus 550 is you have to lay $100 to win your 550. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right. You have to lay 550 to win your 100, which is how I explained it correctly before. Um, somebody tweeted at me and wanted me to explain a little bit more about how Vegas works since that game was minus 550, but only plus 490, I believe. And and, and Las Vegas... Uh, the well, the odds makers, what they want to do is they just want to have equal money on, on uh, both sides of the bet. So if you want to bet on the Orioles or the Tigers, let's say, they just want equal money. They want as much money on the Astros as there is on the Orioles uh, or as much money on the Astros as there is is on the Tigers. And the way they do that is they tweak the odds. So we already talked about minus 550. Well, if you wanted to bet on the uh, on the Orioles, they don't want that to be 550 or 600 because they can get equal money at 490 and their payout is less and that's fine for them. Uh, I think the the easiest example in football, football is an easier way for me to explain it, but basically that's how the spread moves up and down, minus three, plus three, things like that. So if I think the the Super Bowl that we talked about with the Patriots and the Giants, that was the uh, one of the biggest losses that Vegas ever took. And basically, no matter where they put that spread, nobody was betting on the Giants. So they kept lowering the spread and lowering the spread and lowering the spread and uh, or raising the spread in that case. Right. So they'd make the Giants plus 10. Nope. Plus 11 plus 12. I mean, it never got that high, but basically keep moving. That's where people go. Oh, gosh, that spread looks good. I'll take the Giants plus any amount of points. And nobody would take the Giants. And that year when the Giants beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl, all the money was on the Patriots. So. Um, uh, all, all the money was on the Patriots to win, excuse me. So when the Giants won, obviously they had to pay out a ton of dough. So um, anyway, I don't know if that explained it well enough, but basically 
Las Vegas will make money on the juice. So if it's if it's a hundred dollar bet, you have to pay a hundred and ten for that bet. They just want everybody to they they essentially want to break even because they can't pick the winner of the game. Does that make sense, or am I just rambling on? No, it makes a little bit of sense, and that's kind of where I sent out a tweet, kind of tongue in cheek, where I said unbelievable after that Verlander game, and then I hashtag Vegas wins, and it's more or less because Vegas always wins. Because to Tuttle's point. Yes, they want to make money, but they're trying to encourage people to take those chances. So when those chances don't pay out, they get paid. But it was kind of a unique situation on both ends where probably there were. Uh, there, I read so, you sent me an article from ESPN saying where somebody put 53,000 down or, you know, somebody put just exorbitant amounts of money down. And that's kind of where, you know, the real players step in and try and get those. And it's all a gamble. We're not saying it's right either way, but we're just trying to let you know that it, it is a calculated risk when you're going out there. But it was just funny to me that, you know, even with the odds being as great as they were, you know, for the Astros, Vegas is going to win. Somebody out there was like, no way that the Astros, I'm going to, I'm going to pay and I'm going to go on the Astros side because it's just too ridiculous. You know, they almost want it a little bit higher, but uh, I, I enjoy the fact and I, I want to learn more about the betting side of it because I think it kind of, you know, as much as we as analysts try to to handicap the ball game, it helps me understand more because I think that Vegas is doing a very good job of looking at the same numbers that we're looking at. They're trying to predict the future more or less and project what's going to happen. And that's kind of what we're doing in the booth, too. We're looking at the numbers going, oh, man, this should be a good game for the Astros because, like Tuttle said, Verlander's got a good fastball. Detroit chases fastballs out of the zone. This is a great matchup for the Astros. That's why we're going to put this line at, you know, minus 550. But on the other end, like you're talking about, they can't have it the same, you know, plus 550 on the other side because that's ridiculous. If you made that number that much bigger, everybody's going to go to that side. So they have to kind of offset it on the plus side to encourage other people on that side to get in there or maybe think about, well, I'm going to get a bigger dividend on one side, you know, have them think about it a little bit instead of, because if you put it at five fifty, six hundred on one side, yeah, I'm going to put a hundred dollars down on whoever it is and take my chances. But uh, they don't want the payout to be that much on their end. If, if there happens to be an upset. Um, the other thing is, is dude, how incredible has it been in the last week and a half to see two, two, of the biggest upsets in baseball, not only happened to the Astros, but to happen to Justin Verlander. You got to be kidding me with that. I couldn't believe it. Hey, you know, when you're the best pitcher in baseball, essentially, I mean, that'll be argued later, I'm sure, because Garrett Cole's putting up a putting up a quite a year. Um, but consistently over the past few years, obviously, JV is one of the you know top three pitchers in the big leagues then that's that's where that will happen, right? Very similar to the football thing we were talking about. The best teams are the ones that, you know, get the best odds. And when they lose, it's a shock, especially in college football. We've talked about that before as well. Let me take another stab at just explaining the way the spread. So if in a football game it's minus three and everybody bets on the team that's minus three, then that might go to minus two and a half or minus one, right? So in football, it's a little more or, you know, plus three, plus two and a half however that goes, so that they, they have equal money on both sides of that bet. Because if so much money is on one side, Vegas can lose. And, and to your point, they don't care who wins. And using it from an analyst perspective, I think that's a huge benefit, what you just said. Because if Verlander is dominating and he's pitching against the worst team in baseball like he was the other night, and that line isn't minus 550, say it's like minus 250, you as an analyst can say, hey, What's going on? Like, they must know something we don't know. And maybe they know that, you know, Verlander doesn't have his regular catcher or he has a blister on his finger. And those kind of things are things that you may or may not know. But when you see, if you understand the gambling side, when you see lines that don't make sense to you, that's a good indication that there's something going on and that you can actually do some more investigating to add to your, uh, to add to your broadcast. I saw you guys say something the other day, which was awesome. Both um, uh, when uh, Cabrera came up, both you and TK were dialed in. Like they, the camera cut to him, and Verlander gave him a little tip of the cap, and he did something. And then walking off the field, they said something. The camera doesn't always catch all that stuff, but just knowing that is, you know, that has nothing to do with Vegas necessarily. But just knowing that is kind of cool. It's the insight that we talked about. And if you if you start following Vegas, 
it will it will sharpen your analytic uh, ability because you know not that they have inside knowledge it's just that they pay attention to every little thing that can affect their bottom line and as you said regardless of who wins that baseball game vegas could care less whether verlander won that game or not vegas wins baby they got the juice on their side and they got the line exactly where they wanted all right so the next topic uh, i'm going to sneak this up on blummer here the next topic for what'll tuttle say uh, I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts, which is no longer, but uh, Scott Van Pelt and Ryan Rossillo. Ryan Rossillo is now leaving uh, ESPN at the end of the month for The Ringer. Um, one of my favorite podcasts. Those guys are great, and we can aspire to be half as good as they've been in the past few years. But they had a hilarious uh, kind of final podcast, and they got into some of like the top 10 events or moments from their years of doing podcasts and TV shows together. And uh, they got into a knockdown drag out argument one time and they just seem like they always get along. And, and I hope the fans understand that Jeff and I haven't been uh, doing this that long and we haven't been that great of friends that long uh, where we haven't had any knockdown drag outs. But I guess I was going to throw this at you. I think it's hilarious because you and I have pretty cordial discussions and we're working at this and we enjoy it. But uh, I wish I should have focused a little more on what their argument was about but i think rasilla was just kind of disputing svp's point of view and he kept like crushing it like you know that's kind of a silly thing don't ask a question like that don't do that don't do that and they finally went to break <laughs> and rasilla or svp's like don't do that don't belittle me like that and he said they were just having this like screaming match like you're throwing me under the bus and i'm like you know i work hard at this and anyway they went at it and then after that, they, they had a, a much deeper understanding of how they wanted to approach it. And I think part of this is that they had, you know, MC Hammer on and they, you know, they had some famous people on and, you know, MC Hammer was talking about a money thing and he had gone broke and they were just debating whether they want to ask him about that. Like, hey, how can you be promoting this, you know, this lending service when you lost all the money that you made from, you know, they, they, it was harsh, like harsh questioning. So they went at it. But Blummer. Do you think that we're going to like throw stuff at each other one of these days? I don't know. I've been enjoying this. I feel like we're getting along, but you know, creative differences, who knows? I don't know. We're getting advertisers involved. All of a sudden the money starts flying, all these $20 bills everywhere. We might just start fighting over that, but uh, yeah, you've got control of the, I'm trying to think this out. How, like if there was a divorce, you have control of the website, <laughs> you have control of, of the downloads, but you have to send the downloads to me to edit them. We both have a microphone, dude. I don't know. I mean, we're not going to, I don't think it'll ever get to the point where we're like, Oh, F you F this. I'm out of here. Kind of thing. I'm, I'm going to splinter off on my podcast. My solo podcast is going to kick the crap out of your podcast. Cause you suck. No, I, I don't think it'll ever get to that point. But I do I do hope that there are moments where we kind of disagree on some stuff because, I, you know, that's where, you know, some of the excitement and maybe some of the personality that we haven't seen in each other comes out. But it's always intriguing to other people to see, hey, oh, dude, they're getting after it, man. Did you hear what Tuttle said to Plum? Oh, my gosh, I wonder. And they start to tune in. So, you know what? As of right now, screw you, man. Screw you, too. No, I'm looking forward to it. I think, yeah, as we get into this, that hopefully we will have some more different uh, different opinions or different takes on things. I kind of touched on that earlier. I think it's great to get around people that have uh, slightly different takes on maybe the same scenario because if, if nothing else, if we can open our ears and listen a little bit, it broadens our horizons. I just thought it was funny to hear these guys who just come across as good buddies and they've always kind of, you know, known each other in a professional manner and Rosillo was trying to make his way when SVP already had his name and you know he opened the door for Ryan Rosillo and anyway so I feel like I'm the Ryan Rosillo on this podcast right now and you're the SVP but uh, we'll see where it goes and I, I guess that was another lead into I'm really enjoying this and uh, I hope I hope I agree with you I hope we have some sort of creative differences or challenges that uh, that warrant a, a hearty discussion that will uh, will take the podcast to a new level so that's all I got for what'll total say, but I thought I'd throw that at you. I can't believe we just broke up, man. I don't know how we're going to be able to move on. Yeah. Oh, tough. One last thing, I forgot. We got some. We got some great news, and we're saving it till the end of the podcast. So, you listeners, please listen to the end of the podcast because uh, 
we've got another little sponsor coming in and uh, some exciting news for the listeners. So stay tuned to the end of the podcast. You got to make it about 10 to 15 more minutes. Come on, folks. That, that means Blum and Tuttle are back. We're friends again. This is great news. Way to go, Tuttle. Way to bring me back into the fold, man. You got me intrigued. I can't wait to stick through this thing and see how it's going to end because you're right. There is some good news at the end of this podcast. Things are turning a little bit. We're trying to make it a little more accessible for everybody. And it is now time for Blum and Blummer. Huh. I expected the Rocky Mountains to be a little rockier than this. I was thinking the same thing. That's Jeff Blum's. Full of shit, man. All right. I always love Harry and Lloyd getting in on the action, introducing the Blum and Blummer segment. I don't know if I have enough time to go through the couple of things that I do have. We do have to give a fantasy football update. Tuttle and I are co-GMs of our fantasy football team. And, G- and uh, I'm actually I'm turning into the silent partner because Tuttle is doing so much work and sending me so much information. But within our league, I think we have 10 teams, if I remember correctly. Tuttle's nodding his head, so we do have 10 teams. And the draft is going to be August 26th. And we have officially been announced as the fourth pick overall. That makes us a little bit nervous. If you have any any ideas on who we should draft, make sure you get to us at Real David Tuttle at Blummer27 on Twitter and let us know who you think that fourth pick should be. And it's kind of funny, you know, me being in the state of Texas and understanding we have that fourth pick and a lot of these mock drafts and cheat sheets that are coming out in our PPR league. It, it says that there is a certain Dallas Cowboy running back that we should pick, but the dude doesn't have a contract. So it's a little uh, Jerry Jones, if you're listening. Sign the deal, man. Get this guy on contract so we can pick him in that fourth pick. That would be a lot of fun to be able to do and follow the Dallas Cowboys, which would be very interesting in my household. My wife would love it, but he doesn't have a contract. So we're kind of up in, up in the air about that. So, you know, we'll take all suggestions. But, uh, Tuttle, are you excited about this? This may be where the relationship gets a little stressed out when we try and figure out who to draft, who to, who to trade, and which waiver claims we're going to go after, man. This will be a lot of fun. I actually think the trades and the waiver claims might be easy. The one minute time limit between picks and the draft is where we're going to have to like, we're going to have to be on it because we got to know beforehand. That's the part that's making me nervous. And honestly, I have another fantasy football league. I'm in, I've done this for a few years. The first and second, third round, those aren't the challenging picks. I mean, there's, you know, that's fine, but your money is made in those middle rounds. So that's where we're going to have to get after it. I'm not worried about the waiver picks. Um, I would, I agree, or the waiver wire, I I would agree with you in that the fourth pick is kind of that it's just, you know, there's those three guys that everybody will take. If one of those falls to us, life is easy. If Zeke signs before the end of the week, then great. That makes it easy too. But, uh, I think Le'Veon Bell scared a ton of people last year because we had him going third in our draft and I had James Connor on my bench. I I had kept him from the year before I liked his whole story and I ended up trading him for two picks, which was kind of fun because someone's like, oh, I better get that guy. And I actually should have held on to him as well. What happened? I didn't know he's going to be that good. But uh, yeah, we're in a tough position in that spot. There's Zeke. And if we don't want to take him with no contract, there's David Johnson. And then do we take a receiver? Because I'd like to take, you know, DeAndre. giving away the farm here. I'd like to take running back, running back. So uh, I, I'd love to have DeAndre. Yeah, I mean. But well, that's what it looks like. Pick. It looks like if Zeke isn't in there, it's going to be a DeAndre, DeAndre, you know, DeAndre uh, Hopkins, Hopkins out there. Yeah. And I mean, that that's also good for us because then we could talk about the Texans all we want and just, oh man, poor uh, head coach slash GM O'Brien out here has just been getting pummeled. And I, I don't want to get into that because I, I'm with everybody else out there. The offensive line for Deshaun Watson, my God, protect the guy so he can make plays for the love of, geez, okay. Anyways, so on the thought of fantasy football and draft picks and all this kind of stuff, I want to also mention how stupid I think the NFL preseason is. We talked about how rough spring training is in the big leagues earlier in the podcast, you know, at the beginning of the season. But NFL preseason to me is a glorified tryout camp. Guys who are on the roster, guaranteed contracts and guaranteed jobs are going to take five snaps and then take their pads off and drink a couple of cups of Gatorade and talk and listen in on some of the play calling which is great. Uh, the horses aren't going to go out there. You're not going to get a good read on who that is. So I, I like that in the sense of fantasy football drafts because I, you're protecting my guy. If I draft him, you're not going to you know blow him out in preseason, which is great. Um, but 
preseason is a tough watch for me, man. I don't know how you feel about it, and I kind of want to leave it where it is and just give my opinion on it. I know Tuttle's got some insight on it. Um, maybe I'll jump back in, but I know that I'm just it's it's annoying for me to watch the NFL preseason because I don't know who anybody is. And I don't do enough research to understand where the real story is or where the real potential is for some of these guys to break out of preseason and make a make a club. I mean, yeah, you nailed it. I, 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 you know, I also think the other variable there is I don't think they run their offenses. You know, I mean, they have to dumb it down. I saw uh, McCown for the Eagles. They signed him. He was on ESPN desk like a week ago. Josh McCown. And they had two quarterbacks. <laughs> uh, one had a concussion and the other one got hurt behind Carson Wentz. And of course they don't want to play Carson Wentz. So McCown went in there and they had, um, the Peterson on ESPN last night saying, Hey, how did you get McCown ready for the game? He goes, I, I pulled out my play sheet and showed him a hundred plays. And I said, which of these plays do you know how to call and which ones do you know how to run? And he named like 40 of the plays. So he crossed out 60 plays and said, all right, we're going to run these 40. And he threw three touchdown passes. Like, Oh, all right. Well, I guess McCown's oh, ready to go. He's got three touchdown passes in the preseason. So he must be ready for the pro bowl. Well, there's a reason that he's 38 years old and he was working at ESPN. I mean, basically they hired the guy to get him through the preseason and throwing three touchdown passes might get him another $2 million contract to sit the bench all year, which I would take that. But uh, yeah, I don't think you can tell anything. So not only do you not play your horses, not only is it just kind of going through the motions, um, you also don't get the playbook. So, you know, what are you learning? I mean, this is back to high school football. Do the Oklahoma drill and see who can knock somebody on their butt and go, okay, I like that guy. But, you know, these guys are talking about making the regular season 18 games. I don't know. I would just shorten the preseason or get rid of it. We've talked about this in spring training. The guys that play hard in spring training are the guys that are looking for a job. Uh, as a pitcher, we, we already took enough grief whether we're trying for a job or not. We golfed a lot during spring training. We got to cut out when the team went on the road. I mean, there's a lot of free time, even though it's hard work. And I don't know. I'm sure once you started signing contracts and you were the utility guy, you know, they probably had you playing way more in spring training than you wanted to be playing, right? Because they're like, hey, you got to play shortstop today for five innings. We know you're only going to play, you know, whatever, two innings when the season starts. So I I, I don't know. I, I agree with you again. See? Damn We're it. not going to have any conflict on this podcast. I agree with you. Yeah, and it was different for me, and it's different for baseball too. At least if you're a fan going to these preseason games, at least you're going to go watch a guy that's actually going to be on the roster, so you got some kind of enjoyment. And if you're doing fantasy baseball, you could at least see the guy and go, okay, I got my eyes on him. He had a good spring. Maybe I'll pick him up. But uh, to the point of preseason also, Tuttle pointed this out to me, and actually before he told me about it, I read the article on uh, one of the websites that we check out. Dude. They played an exhibition game. If you ever needed a, an idea of why they play preseason, it's for the money. It's for the revenue of putting it on TV. It's for the concessions. It's for the ticket prices because I don't know who the teams were. It might have been the Jets and somebody played a preseason game. For the love of God, played a preseason game on an 80-yard field. Raiders, Packers. They went up to Winnipeg. Oh. They flew up to Winnipeg, so that's the other reason. So they were on a Canadian football league, and they filled in the turf end zone where they, you know, they have the goalposts at the front of the end zone in Canada. So they had to take it out and move it to the back, and they didn't like the way the turf filled in. They were, you know, using the pellets and the turf square. So they played football in an eighty-yard field. Could you imagine being at spring training, going, "Oh yeah, we don't like the field, so we're going to make the base pass seventy-five feet." And we're going to move the mound in to like 50 feet. How is like 50 feet, five inches? That's a random spot because the sprinkler head is in the way. I mean, you get to face Verlander at 50, 50 feet. Like, give me a break. Like, it just couldn't happen. So I don't know what the players thought. That also goes to show who plays in the preseason because the Packers sat 33 starters. There is no guy in their right mind. I would boycott. I'm trying to make the team. What am I going to do? Go up to the head coach and go, sorry, coach Gruden. I'm not playing on an 80 yard field. Well, good. Pack it in, you're going home. You're going to play. So you're a 21-year-old kid playing on an 80-yard field. You've been playing on a 100-yard field since you were in high school. Like, what are they doing? So, yeah, they sold uh, some Labatt's Blue. In, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, they Molson yeah. Ice. Yeah, Molson Ice. And, and, and they said, let's strap it on. We're going to play. So I, I didn't watch the game. I did see a guy on highlights catch a touchdown at the 10-yard line. 
because they played from the 10 to the <laughs> it was the funniest thing ever i was like is he in the end oh yeah touchdown at the 10 yard line anyway uh, i yeah, think we've covered quarterback. that quarterback just threw at the length of the field this guy's got a cannon um yeah we covered enough on that the football preseason i mean that that just solidified it for me when i read that article talking about and you know the the similarities you said uh you know if you did that in baseball my gosh it's not even worth it but uh it's all about the making that money and that's what the nfl is doing uh, you know a pretty good business they've got running but that is going to do it for blum i was for blum and blummer it is the end of my segment but it's also going to do it for our podcast which is bleacher blums but we talked about some of that news earlier in that uh what'll tuttle segment so i'm dying you know, Tuttle, what what have you got to surprise me and the fans listening to this right now? Well, folks, we've teased some merchandise. Jeff Blum today, Blummer27, is actually wearing his Bleacher Blums t-shirt. But one of the sponsors of our podcast is Crush City Tees. CrushCityTees.com is the place to go for custom H-Town baseball t-shirts. They've got direct-to-garment machine uh, they can make your idea a reality with no minimums, no setup fees, and unlimited colors. They also provide embroidery and screen work, design and printed in Houston, Crush City Tees. That's T E E S dot com. And they have made our Bleacher Blums t shirts. If you go to CrushCityTees.com today, right at the top of their website, you can order your very own Bleacher Blums t shirt for $27.27. How did we come up with that price, folks? I have no idea, but we are super excited. We're working on hats. We're working on some other things, but anybody that listens to this podcast can go get their t-shirt today. Now, it's temporary on the CrushCityTees.com website. Um, we are using Crush City Tees to manufacture our, our, our t-shirts, but we are going to have them on our own website. So that's uh, you know in the future, but currently go to CrushCityTees.com to order your Bleacher Blums t-shirt. Get as many as you can, because they're going fast. Blummer, what do you think about that? We've got our t-shirts on the web, available to our fans. I am so excited about this, and it's great that we kind of, you know, we had ideas and hopes to be able to do something like this, but I love the fact that everybody responded to the podcast so positively, and they actually, you know, a lot of people have gotten to us on Twitter and said, oh, you guys need to put that logo on a t-shirt, so here we are, David Tuttle making things happen, getting that t-shirt up, crushcitytees.com to go get that t-shirt uh, we're we're going to see how it goes, but obviously we have plans also to donate some of the proceeds to a, a charities that we're trying to figure out. And so it's a very exciting time. The website's on its way. Hopefully within the next week or so, we'll be able to have a, a website up to be able to listen to the podcast, learn a little bit more about uh, David Tuttle and myself, maybe some other opportunities on that website for you guys to get at us and get to know us a little bit better and become a part of the family that is growing, known as Bleacher Blum. So great stuff there. Appreciate it, Tuttle. Uh, you you want to say anything else before we get out of this mess? Uh, not really. I mean, we, we did talk a little bit about the gambling segment. I, I, I have one other thought about gambling folks. Uh, we talked about the stinky lines, right? When it's minus five fifty, that seems right. If it was minus two fifty, always jump on a stinky line. And we'll talk about that when the NFL starts. If the line doesn't make sense to you, figure out which side you got to get on and, and bet that game. That's a, that's always a good, I'm telling you, it works out. 90% of the time instead of 50% of the time. It works out quite often. And then, of course, uh, always a shout-out to our first responders, military, the people that uh, kind of run in when we're running out. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm eternally grateful to all those folks that'll, uh, that'll watch our backs when we're not watching them. And um, I always want to make sure that we uh, continue to, to acknowledge you and understand that as, as as we look at some of these charities, and we've had a couple of quick discussions about donating some of the money from the T-shirt proceeds to charities that will either benefit first responders, military, or uh, other things of the like. So, um, you know, we talked about gambling on this podcast. So the last thing I always like to leave it with is uh, get out there, have fun, and don't bet on it. And uh, I'll throw it back to you, Blummer. 
No, that's beautiful. And you're right. All branches of military, we are truly grateful for everything you do, not just the, the, the commitment to go out there and create that sacrifice, but then the work ethic to go out there and become the best at what you are and do your best to protect us here on this country and this beautiful North American continent that we're hanging out on. Also, the first responders, I keep telling you guys, my brother is a policeman out in California. Uh, I, I, tr I truly support the blue and I truly support all the firemen, EMTs and everybody else out there that really rushes, like Tuttle said, into harm's way to protect us and get us out of danger. So we are thinking about you. We will probably find a, a good charity to donate some of the proceeds of the T-shirts and other products that we hope to have on the website to charities that recognize military and first responders. And that's been a good podcast. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, we touched on some uh, some details Always remember, you can uh, get at us on Twitter, on Instagram. But until next time, you know what we want you to do. We want you to get after it. But most of all, you got to believe it. When you're single, darling.